It's time for another podcast rewind and in this episode we're revisiting how brand positioning can help you increase your lead and sales volumes. Brand positioning is something that kind of gets a little bit forgotten because maybe it's not as sexy as some of the other digital marketing tactics but actually we found that it's fundamental to the success and growth of any digital campaign so enjoy. You know how some brands always seem to have the biggest wins and the fastest growth? Think of Slack, MailChimp, Airbnb, Monzo, companies like this. You may have even seen them in action yourself when you find a company that you just like immediately. You can't always put your finger on exactly why, but you just feel a connection. I remember the first time we came across Slack. We'd been using Skype in our company and then we just had a look at the Slack website, we downloaded the app and it just felt about right. Companies like this feel different even if what they do is kind of the same as other companies in their space. What is that? Well, the answer quite often is amazing brand positioning. Today, we're going to be talking about how to audit your brand's existing positioning or build your positioning from the ground up. This is one of the issues that we notice when we're working on digital marketing campaigns for clients. Let's say that we want to run some PPC ads or build a new website for someone. We'll ask them what their brand is about, what they stand for, what the messages that they want to convey are. Often, they're really unsure about this. Maybe there's a few people inside the company that we're working with and each one gives us a different answer. None of them seem to resonate and they don't really feel like they're clear about what the company actually stands for. Well, today we're going to get this sorted. We're going to go through some exercises and talk through some examples as well from the wild to make this feel real. Let's do this. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim. I'm CEO of Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales online. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Today, we're talking about brand positioning, basically how you choose the thing that your company stands for. This is really important for any business, whether you're B2B, B2C, whether your product, service, software, doesn't really matter. Your brand's positioning is about how you tap into that weird human squid wishy, emotional connection thing that we all have that makes us either immediately like someone that we meet or immediately dislike someone we meet. We can activate the same principles in our customers to make them either immediately like our company or immediately dislike our company. So we're going to talk through some of the ways that you're going to do this, some of the ways that you're going to either audit your brand's existing positioning or a process that you can go through to design your positioning from scratch. And of course, we're going to be throwing in plenty of real life examples. There's a video version of this over on our YouTube channel, which you can watch if you just go to YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja, or I'm just going to talk you through the examples whenever I'm showing anything on the screen so you don't miss out too much as you're driving or going to the gym, whatever. Okay, first up then, what do we mean by positioning? Well, positioning basically forms the brand rules that your company lives by and it should be the thing that makes you distinctive from your competitors. Think of this as a set of rules or a set of key messages that are the DNA of your marketing, the things that you are consistently emphasizing and the things that you communicate even if you don't specifically say them. Without positioning, you'll struggle to stand out, especially 
especially in crowded markets. Now, we don't just mean about how your brand looks, the colors or the logo or the pictures that you use, although of course they are part of your positioning. But positioning is about the way you communicate everything about your company. The messages that you share on your website, the CTAs that you highlight in your PPC ads, the stuff that you're posting on social media, the look of those posts, the people or the products or the shots that are featured in those, the topics that you choose in your blogs, all of this forms your positioning. Now, to do a very brief overview of this and to show an example, let's talk about two Instagram profiles from vegan shoe brands. So these perfectly illustrate this whole positioning thing. So the first one I'm on is Will's Vegan Store. So that's Instagram.com forward slash Will's Vegan Store. Now they sell uh, vegan shoes and the posts on their page are all emphasizing outdoors. People are on the beach, they're climbing mountains, they're posing in rustic settings. We've got quite, you know, healthy looking, happy, reasonably well-off people here doing various sort of gap year type stuff, right? I'm on a boat, I'm standing on some ice, I'm at the beach, I'm standing in front of a cool, chic, rustic, wood-looking, I don't know, door or wall or whatever. And then of course there are shoes featured in a bunch of these uh, pictures as well. There's a super clear audience here of slightly more affluent, more wealthy customers. They're selling a lifestyle that needs reliable shoes that last a long time. And when you go on their website and you have a look at their products, that completely matches their target audience. So just for a frame of reference, we've got shoes here that are maybe not, they're not super expensive, but they're sort of like 95 to 150 pounds, which is about, I don't know, 110 to 200 ish dollars. So it's not super high end. We're not talking about luxury here, but we're talking about, you know, solidly middle class shoes. Then we've got another example of a business also selling vegan footwear. This is Koi Footwear. They couldn't be more different to the positioning of Will's Vegan Store. Their Instagram page is all about bright colors. It's all about memes. It's all about people wearing alternative fashion in urban locations. We've got some pretty wild styles here. We've got big puffy sleeves. We've got bold outfits. We've got very, I don't know, it's, it's definitely a younger look, right? We've got videos that look like they're producing on TikTok, completely different. Now, it definitely feels like their audience is younger and trying to keep up with fashion trends. This is much more trend-based. Some of these products are pretty wild, but that's exactly what their audience is after, right? Now, if you go on their website, that audience is perfectly reflected in the products that they stock, which tend to be much more daring designs, and the price points that they're at. These products are between 40 and 70 pounds predominantly, so think sort of, uh, I don't know, like 60 to $100. Much lower price point reflecting that people are looking to get access to the latest styles from much you know they don't have as much budget to spend they don't have as high disposable income but these are all also bolder pieces it's a completely different style of footwear now if we zoom back out take the 20,000 foot view of this we're basically selling the same thing here we're selling vegan shoes but the positioning of these businesses means they're appealing to totally, totally different companies. And by the way, just as a quick side note, positioning is one way that smaller brands can compete against larger brands by positioning themselves to reach an audience that the bigger brands maybe aren't catering to, or just by picking off, you know, that one gazelle at the back, that audience segment that isn't being particularly well served. Smaller brands can make inroads into larger brands, take some of their audience um, and, and use that as a platform to build. In fact, the example that we're going to look 
look at later on. Or the next example we're going to discuss is an example of a company that has done exactly that. They've picked off one segment of the industry's audience. They've gone really hard after that, and then they're expanding from there. So how do we build or refine your brand's positioning? Well, we're going to be going through a few different sort of techniques or strategies or exercises, I guess. These are competitor positioning, so analyzing how your competitors are positioning themselves, working out the audiences they're going after, the messages that they're sharing to look for any gaps they might be leaving. Then customer and persona pain points, so the worries and objections that your customers or buyer personas might have, why they would or wouldn't buy from you, their buying habits and these types of things. And by the way, if you don't have buyer personas yet, then we have a video and podcast all about how to design buyer personas. Uh, then your positioning and messaging. So this is taking those two um, observations and identifying what messages you're going to stand behind, how you're going to communicate them. And then finally, your positioning in action. So this is like your game plan, how you communicate these messages super clear in all of the marketing work that you're doing on a daily basis. So let's go through each of these steps so you can audit or build your brand positioning yourself. Okay, starting then with competitor positioning. You can't make changes to or you shouldn't make changes to your existing positioning if you're not clear on what else is out there and which spaces aren't being filled. Absolutely pointless going after the space of a really well established player who's got their positioning absolutely nailed and is catering to that audience really well. If you have a look at let's say, you know, an example, everybody knows smartphones with Apple, very difficult to go after Apple's target audience with a very similar message to Apple, you're just not going to get through. Okay, so you'll notice that the companies who go after, uh, you know, smartphone sales or wearable device sales, they pick off smaller audiences. So they might be going after, you know, let's say it's Garmin with their uh, with their watches, which tend to focus on outdoorsy people and, you know, longer battery life, and, or whether it's, uh, the, you know, the nothing phone where they're focusing on being, a, you know, being a bit more rebellious. And we don't like being part of this sort of corporate monolith that is Apple. You've got to know what else is out there to find a position that resonates with a segment of the target audience. You are, your positioning only works in context with other options out there. That's really important. This is it's not a zero sum game, but positioning is always relative, okay? It's not really absolute. So how do you actually identify what your competitor's positioning is? Well, the best way to do this is to spend time on their websites, having a look through their social media, looking at the audience that is being portrayed, the key messages that they're pulling out in their in their copy and their images having a look at the ads that they're running. So using the Meta Ad Library or using SEMrush to have a look at the PPC ads they're running. This can be really useful because, you know, in a search ad where you've got a small amount of text, brands are forced to emphasize the things that they know make them stand out. So it can be quite a nice way to see how brands think their positioning is going to resonate compared to the other search results on the page. You want to have a look at how your competitors are winning. So the things that they're doing really well, but you also want to keep half an eye on the places that they're falling down. For example, you might identify that competitors aren't really targeting their audience super clearly on their website. When you go on their website, you might not be able to identify what their target audience is or the things that they care about. So that could indicate that they have a bit of a gap in their positioning there where you might be able to take some uh, take some space. You might see that some of your competitors are getting a lot of negative comments on their social media about something like customer service, for example. Well, that might give you a hint that actually there's an opportunity in this space to push into that. Customers aren't being 
particularly well served. And if you can make that a selling point, if you can make that core to your proposition, you might be able to get some traction there. Let's have a look at some, or let's <laughs> let's have a listen to some examples. So we've talked about Lemonade Insurance before. They are an example of a business that is doing fantastically well, disrupting a fairly sort of well-established and boring and traditional space of insurance. And they've done so well, in fact, uh, they're going to $100 million in uh, in three years. Uh, $100 million revenue in three years, and they now have 27% of first-time buyer home insurance in the US um, because they have resonated with a target audience. They've chosen a target audience, very specific target audience, and they've worked out what makes them different and how they can stand out. So I'm on their pet insurance page, which is lemonade.com forward slash pet. And I have a very non-traditional insurance looking page in front of me. The headline is pet health insurance with super fast everything. So immediately, this doesn't sound like a traditional insurance company. Super fast everything is very sort of casual wording. It's designed to resonate with the younger audience. The page is all sort of, it's uh, like a very light gray. And then we got two line illustrations. One is a cat tail wagging and the other is a dog tail wagging. And then as you scroll down the page, these cats and dogs uh, are looking up at you. The dog has its tongue out. It's all pink. Looks super cute. The subheadline is insurance for the 21st century, hassle-free digital experience, lightning fast claims payment, powered by AI. They're all the information on this page is very plain English. It's not designed to be stuffy or corporate. It's all focusing on speed, ease of use, and this sort of user experience is very much a part of their proposition. Now, taking an alternative look, uh, another competitor in the space is Agria Pet. Um, this is uh, another pet insurance company. They are much more traditional. So on their site, their pet insurance uh, homepage says the UK's most trusted pet insurance provider. They then have an asterisk. I never understand why people have it. You know, legal says, oh, you need to include an asterisk if you're going to say most trusted so you can qualify how we are most trusted. Yeah, but then it immediately makes the whole statement look like it's, you know, totally invalid. Anyway, the UK's most, most trusted pet insurance provider, it's very safe colors. It's blues and greens. There's loads of credibility and star ratings above the fold, which is great. Um, we've got images which are very sort of stock imagery. It's very traditional. This is a traditional insurance website. And whilst they do a good job of saying, you know, we're the most trusted, that's the angle that they're pushing. They're not pushing, this is going to be really fast. They're not pushing, this is going to be really easy to use. They're not pushing, we've reinvented insurance. They are the opposite of reinventing insurance. So you can see here, how companies on the surface selling the same thing, actually selling it in a completely different way. So as you're having a look through your competitors, have a look at the things they're doing particularly well and the things that they aren't. Let's say they've got a really fantastic tone of voice like the Lemonade and it's very clear what they're offering and who they're targeting and all that type of stuff. You want to make sure that your tone of voice comes across as clearly as that and that you are as sure about how you present to the market as they are. Or let's say that you have a look at a company like Agria and it looks very traditional, it looks very sort of safe and reliable. Well, you might want to take some of that safe and reliable piece, but then you might want to add a bit of edge or a bit of playfulness, a bit of fun to make sure that you're standing out. Another example of a couple of businesses that um, have a similar sort of dynamic between them. So let's say uh, you're buying some email marketing software, right? You've got MailChimp and you've got Clavio. These two companies sell a relatively similar product. So of course, if you're familiar with them, they might feel quite different, but they sell a relatively similar product. It's email marketing software, basically. Now, if you go on MailChimp social media, I'm looking at a post here, which has a pink 
and yellow bubbly background. And then there's a little MailChimp. Uh, it's like a social post and it says, babe, is everything okay? You've hardly driven more traffic and sales by setting up automations that trigger emails based on customer behavior with MailChimp's customer journey builder. Now starting a social post with babe, is everything okay? Is clearly designed to resonate with a particular audience segment. Okay. This isn't the 60 something white male C-suite. This isn't going to resonate with that person. That person's going to look at this and go, what, what is this? What on earth are they talking about? Whereas a younger target audience is going to see this and go, okay, cool. This sounds like me. If you compare this to Clavio, one of their social posts I'm looking at here says elite tech partner spotlight. By the way, this is all purple, very official looking font. It says elite tech partners have added powerful data and functionality to our product, making Clavio even more impactful for customers. This is from Chattery Ali, director of technology partnerships, Clavio. Now these two posts couldn't be more different. The language, the look, the message, the thing that they're communicating is completely different, but they're selling a very similar product. So an extreme example, but shows us how what we're really looking for is we're looking to communicate something where our potential customers say, ah, they get me. There is a customer for whom Clavio feels safe, secure, reliable, trustworthy. I would be happy to take this into the board meeting and show my board and they would say, oh, yes, you've made a very good decision. There is also a, com uh, a customer that would be much more happy going with MailChimp because it's fun. It's exciting. They get me. It feels more engaging. It feels more like a friend. They feel like they're on my team. It's not going to be boring, right? So it's about identifying what your customer is most going to resonate with here. That feeling that we're going for, ah, Ah, they get me. So consider why someone might buy from your competitors over you. But focus not just on price, because price is such a small element of positioning. What we want to focus on is the other stuff, the other messages that are being communicated here. In some ways, we want to build our positioning around our price. But most of the time, we don't want price to be part of our positioning. We just want our price to be consistent with our positioning. Okay. Another example, and we often use B2B examples. We often use software examples because lots of marketers can relate to these products. And a lot of the criticism that you can often get around talking about brand positioning is, yeah, but all that stuff's fine. Like everyone uses Nike and Starbucks and all that type of stuff. How does this work for my, you know, my utilities company or my software company? Well, here's a software company. <laughs> okay. This is a Asana. So they sell project management software and their project management software is very much positioned as this is all about improving your company efficiency. Um, on this homepage, we've got why Asana. According to IDC, Asana improves employee productivity and company efficiency. We've got stats about how employee productivity and satisfaction have been increased. We've got stats about faster execution, increased on-time completion, decrease in admin tasks. Then we've got lots of stuff about process, and uh, we've got lots of statistics. 80% of Fortune 100 companies use Asana. So we're making it feel very safe. We're basically making a very logical argument for your business to use Asana on this page. Now contrast that with Teamwork, who sell a very, so on, in many ways, very similar product. This is project management software. But rather than trying to make a very logical, everyone should use Asana because all the good companies use us and we improve your efficiency by 27.6%. What teamwork does instead 
is focus on a particular customer segment. So Teamwork's headline is project management made for client work. Manage your projects, team and clients in one place with all the features you do need to deliver work on time and budget. And because they've chosen a specific customer segment, they've then optimized all of their messages to resonate with that target audience. So they're focusing on things like how you scope your work. Well, that's really, really important for companies that have clients. That's not so important for companies that don't have clients, but who are just looking for, uh, you know, efficiency improvements. We've got uh, a teamwork also focuses on things like milestones, intake forms, how you can have clients and collaborators. Well, for a lot of companies who don't have clients, they would never even have an outside person in their project management software. So this is not going to resonate with them at all. They're going to look at this and say, this doesn't really feel like right for me. This feels like it's optimized for a different type of business. And it is. Now, what we have to keep in mind here is the project management software is basically the same. Yeah, Yes, there's some slight differences in functionality, but mostly this is a marketing project to identify and resonate with particular customer groups. Asana has chosen one, Teamwork has chosen one, and they've gone all in on them, which is exactly what you need to be doing. So think about why people would buy from you rather than your competitors. Also think about why someone might choose not to buy from your competitors based on their positioning. So what audiences are they excluding? If they're really safe and traditional and reliable, are they going to look boring to an audience group that might be underserved or vice versa? If they are focusing on efficiency, well, might you be able to get more relevance by calling out a particular customer segment, which would you know really resonate? Just an example here, we worked recently with a luxury brand selling super high quality sportswear. Now, this super high quality was reflected in the price. It was high price, but their branding and their look and feel was very youthful. That's the thing that they wanted to, you know, really focus on and push. The trouble with that was that because their branding and their imagery was so youthful, their ads got loads of clicks, but people weren't converting because when they saw the ads, when they saw the brand and the, you know, the positioning and the sort of unspoken message in the images, they were saying this is going to be fast fashion. This is going to be very trend based. And they were expecting fast fashion, trendy prices. But what they actually got was high quality prices. So we needed to work with this brand to help them reposition to a demographic that had more disposable income and that valued more about the quality side of things rather than being trendy. So finally, when you're doing your competitor analysis, have a look at what your competitors are doing well about things like CTAs or particular messages that they're using over and over and over again that you think would resonate. For example, if they're emphasizing ease of use, how do their CTAs mimic that? Do they have very straightforward checkout processes or do they have very straightforward lead capture pieces? If they're emphasizing fun and excitement, when you go through the checkout process, does it feel exciting? Are they using different colors? Do they have custom checkout layouts that make it feel fun? Does it, does it feel non-traditional? Or does as soon as you go a little bit deeper than skin deep, then it feels very boring and very corporate? One example here, a direct consumer razor company, Supply, they have a fantastic headline on their homepage. It says high performance grooming. Now, high performance grooming, just from saying that, I'm you, I'm imagining that you're probably thinking this is going to be really good quality, right? And when you go on the page, the product images are really, really high end. It looks really slick. They've managed to make these razor blades and these shavers look like, you know, high tech products. Well, 
just by doing that, they've immediately communicated to customers that this is going to be a premium experience. And therefore, those customers are going to be expecting a premium price, which is exactly what they get. So they've managed to do that in just a few words and with a few images. So you're looking at that kind of thing. That's what you're looking for. And that's also what you're looking to build something that resonates quite quickly and calls out your audience. All of this stuff, by the way, makes all of the other digital marketing work that you do have so much more traction. When we work with a client on this type of stuff before building a website, for example, the website performance and the process of building the website is so much better because we've made this stuff really clear. We've identified all of these issues up front, fixed them, and then everything else just flows a lot more. So it really improves the performance of all your other ongoing marketing. By the way, if you're listening to this thinking, I need help with some of this stuff, I need help with sort of digging through these things and making sense of it all, then you should request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. If you go to ExposureNinja.com and click the big button on the website, you'll see a questionnaire which asks you a few questions about your marketing. We'll then do a lot of this research for you. We'll have a look at how your business is presented online. We'll have a look at how your competitors are presented and we'll map you out a six-month prioritized action plan that you can follow to increase the volume of leads and sales that your website is generating for you. This service is completely free, so go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review today. Okay, so we looked at our competitors. Now let's talk about our customers. How do we research our customers? And um, there are two groups that we want to be thinking about here, both your existing customers and your ideal customers. Sometimes those groups might be slightly different. So we're going to be focusing on identifying their pain points. But of course, you're going to be asking other questions too, like what these people are worried about, their objections to purchasing from you, uh, what they like about your brand, what made them choose you in the first place. You want to find out their demographics. You also want to get a bit of an insight into what their buying behavior is like. For example, are they the sorts of people that do a lot of research before making a purchase or are they more of an impulse buyer? By the way, some people are pretty poor identifying their own patterns and working out which one of those two they are. So sometimes you can get a lot more insight for uh, if you're doing customer call research, by the way, um, by asking them something like, how did you choose your last car, right? So for me, my process of choosing my last car was go into the car dealership, uh, look at the sort of the model that they had right in front of me inside the building as their sort of showcase and be like, yeah, this one's pretty cool. Uh, let's get this one. Whereas other people will have done a lot more research and they will have worked out the difference at cost of ownership over five years. They would have looked at, you know, uh, spec differences and then they would have spent, you know, ages and ages going through. You need to sell to me and you need to sell to that person in very, very different ways. Different messages are going to resonate. So you're looking for some patterns in your customers to identify whether they skew towards one or the other. A few ways that you can do this, of course, by doing customer calls. Uh, you can also put together surveys and run these across social and email marketing as well. Um, sometimes it makes sense to pay for market research. Great option if you're a new business with no existing customers, or you are looking to target a completely different market. Um, that can also make a lot of sense. You can also look into, you know, uh, like collected data research sites like GWI, YouGov, Gallup, um, Office of National Statistics has a whole bunch of really interesting data as well. Um, and that can sometimes identify trends or patterns or demographics that are, you know, sort of underlying trends that you might want to tap into. Another way, something that's really underrated, but can actually be really useful, even if it does 
give you a uh, sort of a higher resolution on a small number of potential customers is good old fashioned social media stalking. I mean, research. So on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, whenever, wherever your target audience is hanging out, who are the people like go and find your customers on these platforms and try to understand a bit more about their lives. What do they look like? How do they operate? Where are they spending their time? What else are they into? This type of thing can be so useful because then you can build a mental model of your potential customers and it'll be much easier to find a position that resonates with them if you're able to visualize them than if they're just sort of arbitrary uh, you know arbitrary words in a CRM or usage stats in Google Analytics it's very difficult to work out what's going to resonate if you're just imagining x visitors on a page in Google Analytics whereas if you maybe go to a trade show and you meet some of these people face to face you'll find you get much better insight about how to cater for them so I can't advocate that sort of thing enough. Whilst it might feel very unscalable, if you do, you know, you stalk 10 people, you research 10 people, and you find, hey, do you know what? These people are pretty similar. Well, then you've got your target audience. And it doesn't matter if you expand that out to a thousand people, right? If you're getting the same thing over and over again, you can quite quickly build up a picture of your audience. Um, also have a look at who's engaging the most with you on social media. Do these people match the customers that you're looking for? If not, then it might be an indication that there is a bit of a mismatch between what you're putting out with your positioning and what you're actually selling. And then finally, you can look through customer emails, reviews, live chat responses, things like that to find common issues that come up with your customers. Now you can use all of this research alongside your buyer personas to establish the pain points of your ideal customer and how you're going to communicate that you solve them. A great example of this is DirectLine. They're a UK based insurance company. We're doing a lot of insurance here. The reason for that is a very good one. And that is because insurance is a relatively, I use this word very lovingly, it's a relatively boring market. And like I said before, a lot of the buyer persona sort of branding stuff tends to focus on high P like direct to consumer type brands. And it means that a lot of other businesses think they can't benefit from doing this sorts of work. Actually, a lot of other businesses like insurance companies can be the ones that benefit most from this work because their competitors sometimes don't think about this. Okay, so going back to direct line, then how does direct line stand out? Well, firstly, they lead with we're not on price comparison sites, they do this is sort of a sort of like a, a an anti-USP, if you like, in that they're doing this to make themselves feel different. And they're implying in some of the wording that this means that you're going to get a better deal. But some of the other areas that they really push into with their positioning is around um, making sure that you're clear they are there to help you, okay? Um, sort of like a helping hand when you need it, the backup that you need, really, I would, I would say their, their positioning is sort of based on. So some of the messages that they really push on are things like, well, you know, if you've ever tried to get an insurance claim paid off, you'll know it can be a bit of a nightmare. It takes a whole bunch of time. Sometimes you need to front the cash yourself quite quickly to solve the issue. And then if there is an emergency, you're hoping that, um, you know, you've ho you're hoping that the insurance company will pay out to sort of reimburse you. Well, direct line leads with or they've identified that this is a potential pain point and they lead with some messaging around this. For example, their home insurance, if you have a leak, they'll get you a plumber right away. If your phone or technology breaks, they'll get you a replacement quickly within a couple of hours, they say. I mean, this is really like they are absolutely looking to minimize the disruption to your life caused by any of these issues. So it's quite an interesting position that they've taken 
take them. Now remember, of course, you're positioning the things that you share in your marketing. This needs to be authentic. This needs to be consistent with the experience that customers will actually have. It'll be pointless or even damaging for Direct Line to position itself as the backup that you need if it didn't actually do anything differently to help its customers. So if you called up Direct Line and you were on hold for like six hours and then they wouldn't cover your claim or, you know, they took six weeks to send you out a phone and, you know, you had to borrow your friends in the meantime, like then the, the mismatch between the positioning and the delivery is so significant that they're likely to get a customer reputation or review problem because they've pushed something in their marketing which they then can't deliver. So you've got to make sure that whatever position you take actually reflects the strengths of your business in the first place. Okay, so say that we've got our positioning, now it's time to think about implementing it. Think about your personas, think about your target customers and your competitors. What's important to your personas? How do you stand out against your competitors? Let's start solidifying this and identifying some key statements. Now, sometimes it can be quite Quite difficult to pin down the positioning that you want, in which case you might want to try and define it using just a few words. For example, personalized service, trustworthiness, ease of purchase. This is something that we do for clients. We try and find three to five words which demonstrates how we think they're standing out when we're helping them identify their positioning. And we'll then have uh, you know examples of these each of these words in action so they can see how it's tangible. Let's go back to um, let's go back to the world of life insurance. Why not? We've been talking a lot about insurance today and compare two brands, again, selling the similar thing and try to identify their positioning. So first one we're going to look at is Dead Happy. Now, Dead Happy, if you haven't been on their website, is worth a look. Even if you don't want life insurance, it's worth a look. It's deadhappy.com. And they have a quite morbid sort of sense of humor. Their logo is a laughing skull. The word Dead Happy has an upside down A, which implies a bit of anarchy. And that is basically their, their brand and their positioning. They use handwritten fonts. They say things like make a death wish, which is about how you spend your payout. So who it goes to basically. They're using that quite, you know, it's like a morbid sense of humor. We're laughing in the face of death. Their tagline is life insurance redesigned. So how would they position themselves? Well, they'd probably say something like rebellion, uh, reimagining it, affordable prices. Those might be the things that they emphasize. Now, if we contrast this with Polly, if you go to poly.co.uk, you'll see life insurance. Um, this is a business that is positioned specifically towards mothers. The headline is life insurance for super mums. Hello, mum, we're Polly. Since launching in 2015, we've helped more than 750,000 UK mums protect their families' futures by taking out affordable life insurance. Why not join them? All the imagery on this page is about mums. The next headline says it's all about family. Uh, then uh, There's a great piece of copy here. Every 22 minutes in the UK, a child loses a parent they depend on financially. We are tapping into that fear that mothers have about leaving their children unable to cope, right? And because they've chosen a very specific target audience, they're able to really resonate with that audience and press into the pain points that they know that audience has. So everything about this page is optimized for the mother's desire to look after and provide for the children. So let's take that as a, you know, that as a project, how do we define their positioning? Well, it's going to be for mums, it's going to be uh, look after your family, it's going to be relaxed slash peace of mind. So those are the things that they're going to be selling. So you can see how you can sort of take a very different approach with your positioning and then start to distill it in a few key statements and summarizing the messages that you're going to be communicating. Uh, right. 
it's clear, just like with the vegan shoes earlier, that these businesses are selling, basically they're selling exactly the same products, right? It's life insurance. So on the back end of this, there's a very cold process that looks at, you know, it's a calculated risk assessment. How, what's the likelihood of paying out? How much do we need to take from the customer over the period based on their risk factors? And then there's a payout. So let's not be deluded into thinking that this means we need to run a completely different business. This is all about where do we sit? How do we market this service? Who's the audience that we go after? And this is an example of something that very few entrepreneur-led businesses think about, at least in the early days. People tend to focus on the product or the service itself, rather than thinking about how they can use the audience to differentiate themselves against competitors. Okay, so we've got this, we've got our sort of principles. How do we then start to apply it? Well, this is where positioning in action comes in. This is about how you make this stuff apparent in all areas of your marketing and your wider business. Uh, And this is, you're going to be building some key statements which exemplify these positioning uh, or, or these positions that you're taking. For example, let's do an example. If part of your brand positioning is around speedy responses, you're very quick to respond. You need a way of communicating this really quickly. So maybe this is a subheadline or a feature on your website that says, talk to a real person 24-7 within five minutes. That feels real. And it says so much about your business and how people are going to experience your company. So just in that few words, we've told people that service is a priority, that if they want service, they should come to you. And if they're not interested in that, maybe this isn't going to be the thing for them, okay? Because positioning is also about who you're not right for as well. So think about what your customers are doing uh, and thinking at each stage of their journey and identify the aspect of your positioning that connects with them most at each time. And then we need a way of demonstrating to customers that these things are real. Okay. Uh, So let's say that your positioning includes ease of use. Well, you want to make it really easy for someone at the top of the funnel to get the information that they want. Your website has to be very easy to use. You have to be sharing all the information. It has to be easy to navigate. You might want to give them nice calls to action that are very straightforward with a few, with very few Uh, form field. You might want a customer service number that they can access. They don't have to wait on hold for hours. They can talk to someone very quickly. The agent has a speedy script to run through rather than thousands of questions. The quote process on your website is very quick. The UX feels fast. You can see how if we're going to make ease of use a part of your positioning, that needs to flow through everything that you're doing. What about at the bottom of the funnel? Let's say someone's ready to buy. Well, we need to make it really easy for people to convert. Simple checkout process, easy to fill out form. Now let's say that your positioning doesn't include easy to use. Let's say that your positioning includes sharing knowledge, being helpful, being an authority. Well, your top of funnel messaging might be about sharing ebooks or books or guides. You might be collecting email addresses through this and you might put people through an email funnel which builds credibility with them by sharing all of the information and the experience that you've got. Your middle of the funnel messaging might focus on practical ways people can improve their lives by conducting website audits themselves or helping them to get further with whatever goal they've got. Your bottom of the funnel might be a consultation. Remember, we're focusing on the knowledge and how you can share that knowledge with people. So bottom of funnel might be consultation with someone with your in your team. It might be a free website and marketing review from ExposureNinja.com. So think about how you're going to reflect each of these sort of uh, your positions, your values through all aspects of your marketing. Let's think about Monzo. You might know the disruptive banking app Monzo. They're a sort of, uh, I guess, a tr- uh, an alternative 
alternative to traditional banks and it's very app based, it's very mobile first, very younger customer focused. Um, they have very youthful positioning on their social media. So the content that cre they create at top of the funnel matches youthful modern positioning that highlights ease of use. On social, they're sharing memes, brightly colored posts. They give financial advice aimed at a younger audience. The middle of the funnel traffic, the middle of the funnel content they're producing highlights the benefits of banking with Monzo. It's all links with their positioning. They focus on things like banking made easy, open a full UK bank account from your phone, online banking that makes a statement. They tell you, you know, how great the thing is. Um, and that's great for a younger audience that wants an easy life and a modern banking experience. They don't want to deal with paper statements. And then the bottom of the funnel traffic, the people that are ready to convert. Now, if you go to the sign up page, you can't actually sign up on their website. You have to sign up through the app, which again, makes sense with their target audience. Uh, the steps listed on that page are really simple though. Step one, download the app. Step two, have some ID to hand. Step three, we'll send your card fast. Okay, so that's, so, hey, this is going to be really quick. Now, if you're looking to deposit 50 million pounds, you're probably not going to go for that because it feels a little bit informal. It feels a little bit, you know, easy come, easy go. But that's okay because there are other businesses that are identified, other banks that are optimized for that. So you can see how your positioning applies to all aspects of your business and marketing from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. And that's the important thing. This shouldn't just stay as a theoretical exercise where you get a whole bunch of bullet points out and then you just stick them on a Google sheet somewhere and just leave them. This needs to work its way through all of the marketing that you do. You might want to stick it on your wall so everything that you're producing has these values in mind. I hope this has been useful. If so, then don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Don't forget also that you can watch the video versions of all of these podcasts over on the Exposure Ninja channel. Until next week, see you soon.